0: Hi, everyone. And it's really lovely to be joining you here from Area Park. Now, I'd love to be there in person with you, but unfortunately, the current border restrictions, of course, make that impossible. So here I am coming to you via technology. And you look, you may need to forgive this presentation as um, it's a little bit strange sitting in my lounge room as I am in the unit, talking to a camera without people here um, and without an audience. But anyway. What I do want to say is, I want to reassure you that um, even though I can't be with you, even though I'm up here, I do pray, daily for our church, and I think of you all, and really miss being with you. So, given that, I think it's time that we should join together and pray um, in prayer and pray about the message that we're about to have. So, let's pray. Father God, I already just thank you that you bring us together in various ways. On this, your day, the day when you call your people to come to worship you, to encourage each other, to hear your word, to learn, to grow, and then to be empowered to go out and to live your life in the world around us. I thank you, Lord, for the strength of your word, for the wisdom found in it. And thank you, Lord, that you choose to reveal yourself to us in your son, Jesus Christ. And I just pray that, Lord, your spirit work in our hearts and our minds, To open our minds to understanding, our hearts to your worship, and our lives to your glory. Just help us, Lord, today we pray. Amen. Today I want to talk to you about a segment that comes from an address that was made by Jesus, and it's commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. And we're not going to look at the whole thing, it's a very big sermon, and it was a sermon delivered to a whole group of people, and we're looking at a small section of it out of a part where Jesus is actually talking about the character of God's children, the people who are his disciples. And the part that we're looking at, which was read to us earlier, is a part that focuses on the idea of worry or anxiety. Now, when we're talking about worry or anxiety, there are a few things that I need to address. The first thing that's really important is understanding when I talk about worry or stress in this context, I'm not discussing in any way mental health disorders. We know that there are very, very real, deep emotional health disorders, anxiety disorders that people um, suffer from. And it's true that in this talk that Jesus gives, that he gives really good advice for our well-being. He gives God insights into living a fulfilled Joyful life. If you do suffer from something that is clinical, it's really important that you seek clinical help for that. You know, it's no different from what we do for a physical malady, really. If you break a phone, you'd go to a doctor, and you'd probably end up in a fracture clinic to make sure that that um, particular injury is being looked after and cared for properly. If you suffer from a clinical anxiety disorder or any sort of mental health, I'd really urge you to seek a qualified and preferably Christian counsellor, someone who um, is able to give the treatment the guidance that you would need yourself. So the things we're talking about today is, is about general worry and general anxiety, and it is healthy to have this understanding, but please, just understand where I'm coming from here. Secondly, the other thing I need to say is that people often would regard worry in a way that um, suggests that God would regard worrying as a sin. Let me say if there's something to worry about, then it's not ungodly to worry. Um, You know, there's some really simple examples. For example, um, our son Mikey recently uh, got a new job. He's now looking after lions as part of his job. Now, if you confronted lions in this African savannah without a cage or a fence in front of you, You'd have a genuine reason to worry. Not all of Sir David can slay the lion, and we know that um, Paul in Corinthians talked about his own experience of real worry. He said this: "For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired even of life itself." In Paul's circumstance. Taking the gospel of Jesus into an area, he met deep opposition and, in fact, real physical opposition at times. And there were real reasons for him to have deep worries. Worry or fear is a really natural emotion. It's part of our makeup, it's part of what God has made us to be like. And indeed, it's an emotion that's designed to protect us. You know, another example was recently I had the opportunity in fact, beginning of last year, went to the Bathurst 24-hour race and it was a great experience. And I can really honestly say, despite the great experience, it was also one of two times I've experienced fear at a racetrack. The car doing about 260 kilometres an hour slid out of control coming around a corner at the top of the mountain. It hit the guardrail just down from us. And one of the few times I've seen that the car actually climbed up on the guard rail, so it climbed up on its back and slid along the fence in front of me, rotating as it went, and I watched a piece of the car peel off. I saw the axle fly off onto the track away from us. Another part of the car flew up over the catch fence and was coming towards us and hit a tree. And there was genuine fear there. I wanted to run away from that circumstance because it looked like the car was actually going to climb the fence and come into the trail. Luckily, it didn't. My next fear was that for the one of the few times I'd actually see someone seriously hurt in a motor um, accident as that car rolled up the track many, many times. And it was quite amazing to see the driver get out, really upset about what he'd done and walk away. Fear is a, a natural response, and it is something that, if there's something to worry about, it's okay. However, our passage does not, what our um, passage does teach us is that what we worry about and how we worry really matters. Now, I'm quite deliberate in talking about worry today, because we know that for most of us, and there are measures about this, that uncertainty causes worry. And there's no no denying that these are really uncertain times. Now we have snap lockdowns, we have changing health rules, um, and even changes the way that the um, HSC in New South Wales is running. And it leaves us with uncertainty. And this uncertainty causes people to have concerns about what their lives are going to look like. Are they going to be able to see their friends and relatives, even if they're going to maintain their health? So the question remains: what then is a healthy approach to our concerns and worries in the sport? You know, Jesus gives directions to um, his disciples in this address on this sermon. He says certain things, like in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or um, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? If you look at verse 25, that word therefore is really important and it's something that I will come back to. And it notices, it says, therefore, I tell you. And it's really interesting to note the authority of Jesus in saying these things. He's not appealing to someone else. He's actually saying, I have the authority to give you this direction for your life. And then he says, do not be anxious. And specifically, he highlights the idea of not being anxious about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, and what we're going to wear. Have you noticed the amount of devotion that we have to food in Australia? There are whole programs on television which are devoted to food, almost worshipping food. You know, there's a whole TV channel that we can just watch the whole time about cooking and about food and about enjoying it. Um, If you look at those competitions where people cook and um, are judged on their cooking, it gets down to the minutest ingredients saying this is almost perfect, all you had to do. And as for clothing, well, we know that that's a multi-billion dollar industry, like completely devoted around fashion and just, uh, actually we know that's led to slavery and things like that as well. There's a bit difference in Jesus' time for many people because in many parts of the world now and back in Jesus' time, the issue wasn't so much the plentiful amount of food. It was in that agrarian world, there was a lack of food, there's a lack of employment, there's a lack of clothing that was really an issue for a lot of people. But Jesus says something interesting here because what he says is that there's actually more to life than this food, drink and clothing. Now that's an interesting statement by Jesus because you may be aware of something called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It was um, a a theory advanced by a fellow called Maslow, a psychologist, and essentially says that people have a series of needs. Most basically, we are concerned about the things that keep us alive. That we're worried about having shelter, food, and drink. Then it goes up a step from there, and it talks about things such as um, education. And then it moves up from there to finding comforts in life, and so on, etc. Now that's a rough analogy there, but Paul, uh, Peter, sorry, Jesus is saying that even at the bottom of this hierarchy, the most basic things, shelter, food, drink, clothing, that there is something more, something incredibly much more important. But before we look at these, Jesus also says something else. He gives several reasons why worrying about these things is just counterproductive. And we'll look at them quite briefly. Verse 26 says this, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, look, obviously, and Jesus makes this clear in this analogy, birds don't engage in agriculture. They don't sow. They don't reap, And yet there is food available to them. Why? Because God in his wisdom provides it. Now, it has been noted that even though God provides the um, food, the birds still have to forage for it. Jesus makes the point that we are much more valuable than birds. How much more valuable? Well, in fact, so valuable that the person speaking here, a few short years later, will deliberately walk into Jerusalem and die for us. The very one who speaks with authority here about these things sees us as being valuable enough to die for. The same thought comes out in verses 28 to 30, which says this. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He asks, if God can create all the beauty of wildflowers, more beautiful than even a king's clothing, can't he uh, um, provide for you? The God who is able to make such beauty surely has in his power to give what we need. Now, look, as an aside here, and I think it's important to say this, I don't think this passage supports the idea that somehow is put forward, that Jesus is saying, sit back, relax, don't do anything. God is good. He'll give you everything if you just have enough faith. He'll clothe you. He'll give you food. He'll give you good things. You don't have to do anything. God's got it. And look, God is good and God is generous. That's right. And I know various people, uh, even some colleagues and friends of mine, who had miraculous provision of what they need where money's just walked in the door or other things have been provided without them having to do anything. But that is God's choice if he does miracles. What Jesus is saying, though, is don't be anxious. Don't lose your sleep about these basic needs. Look, there may be times of struggle, that's true, and there might be times of hunger. Um, Paul certainly reflected that there were times when he went naked, when he went hungry, when he went went out of sleep and things like that. And another place Paul plainly said to the church, though, that um, people should work if possible. But, you know, God does provide. One of the things he says in, God, um, in in this passage, and one of the things that is true about God's economy, is that while we always had the poor and the needy with us, God expects these people are generous people in the same way that He is generous, and that we support and look after and care for those in need. You can see that in what Jesus says in um, the beginning of the chapter. He talks about um, practicing at righteousness. But notice he says this thus, when you give to the needy, and he goes on to say some other things. Later on, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So you're giving maybe in secret, and your Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. The words don't say if you give to the needy. The words are assuming that there's a generous heart and that you are giving to the needy. So in God's economy, even though there are those with more and those with less, for God's purpose, God expects those with more to be generous, and we see that in the Church of Acts. So then why why shouldn't I worry? The essence of the argument here is to understand that it's all about who is in control and what perspective we bring to life. See, verse 27 makes some things clear. It says, And which one of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour?" his life. You see, not only does worrying not fix the, the problem we face, not only does it provide more, it doesn't improve any of our prospects for life. It can't change our lifespan. It can't change our ultimate end. Verse 34 also says this, therefore do not be anxious, about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. You see, what it's saying there, of course, is that being our anxiety today does not fix tomorrow's worries at all. So if you're worried about something today, it's highly likely that you'll have the same concern remaining tomorrow. Worry does not fix worry. You see, the main issue essentially is our focus. As humans, we like to imagine that we're in control, that we have the ability to make our own choices and the choices we make will control our circumstances, that the nature and type of our life is really in our own hands. We're told all the time, you know, that whether we succeed or not is basically down to our own dedication, our goal setting and the hard work we put in. And if we just stick at it and really determine we can't fail, and we're often um, suggested to us that those who don't have a go are the ones who have uh, failures in life, or those who find themselves in poor circumstances because they didn't have a go. Let Tell that to the Dutch hockey team, the men's hockey team, who just lost to Australia at the Olympic Games in the um, quarterfinals there. You know, they were goal-directed. They worked together. They ran themselves into the ground, they showed the most amazing dedication to a task, and they missed out at the end of getting through the semifinals, and they missed out on any chance of getting a medal. They worked hard, they were determined, they were dedicated, they spent years getting to this ball, and yet they were not successful in doing what they wanted to do. Look, on a more serious note, um, Tell the same thing to an unemployed young person who's just applied for their 40th job, just has got their 40th rejection, and they missed out because 90 other young people, all in the same circumstance, have applied for that same job. So only one in 90 can get the job. We like to think we're in control, but the truth is that the amount of control we have over our own lives is very limited. So Jesus makes two points in this passage, and the first is simple. We can make the focus of our life around gaining wealth, around finding rich foods that satisfy having the most amazing clothes, and we can put our trust in ourselves and our own abilities to control our own circumstances, to make sure that our life is full of pleasure. That can be our focus. But make that our focus leads nowhere good. But chapter six, verse nineteen makes that really clear. It says this: Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, and in twenty one, it says, "For where your treasure is, your heart will be also." If we concentrate on ourselves, our hearts will be on ourselves. Where that leads is not where we want to be. In fact, Paul very clearly says this in Philippians when he talks about people who seek earthly pleasure. And he says, for as I told you before and now will tell you again, even with tears. And notice Paul's despair over the fate of these people. Many live as enemies of the Christ. So who are these people enemies of the Christ who um, are actually actively working against the work of Jesus who came to save us? These are the people. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And what that means essentially is that the whole focus is on themselves and on their own pleasure. And it's an endless and futile chase full of uncertainty, full of possible failure in this world, but ultimately, Paul tells us, it leads to destruction. It leads to God's rejection because they've rejected God. It leads to death. So what is Jesus' answer to anxiety and worry? Going back to um, his address in chapter 6, we read this in verse 33. But seek... First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Essentially, Jesus is telling us, take the focus of ourselves and put our focus on God. To seek Jesus, to love him and to seek through that relationship with him, his righteousness. You see, when we know God, when we truly know him, when we've had the encounter with Jesus and we've come to know him as our Saviour and Lord, we understand that it is God, as He said in this as Jesus said in this passage, that provides our needs, our spiritual needs, our physical needs, all our circumstances. Understand that God is the provider and he's our loving heavenly father. He's our creator. We have to understand that our lives are a gift from God. Every breath, every second, every experience. And in Romans 8, he promises that as his children, he will only do what's good for us. That is incredible. But more than that, we have prayer. In Philippians, Paul gives us some simple instructions. It says this, and again, talking about anxiety do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. You see, it's the right attitude and focus that allows us not to be worried. It's an understanding that every circumstance, everything that happens to us is in God's control and is a gift from God for our good. So, when we come to a difficult circumstance... Rather than being worried about what we can do about it, we can come to our God in prayer and thank Him for His lordship over us, for His gift of the life that we're experiencing now, and we can lay His feet our needs, and we can understand that we can trust Him. So I've used this example before, but driving down the road trying to get to a meeting and there's three trucks in front of me, I'm going half the speed I need to. I can still thank God that he's given me that time. I can understand that um, me being late is within his control. It's not within mine. And that, that he might open up circumstances for me which allow me to actually glorify him in that rather than resorting to road rage or anger or the other things that go along. You know, if I don't have everything that I want in the morning, but I wake up and I recognise that this day is God's gift to me and that the sunshine is um, beautiful or the rain is nurturing the earth or whatever it is, and that's within God's control and it's within God's will. And then I can ask God, God, what do you want me to do in this circumstance? If I give up that control, recognising that Jesus is my Lord and that um, God's glories are in our life every moment, every day, I can remove that anxiety because the peace of God comes into us and God will guard our hearts and show us the way back to him. And we know ultimately, even though life might not seem to go well, remember the disciples died horrible deaths, but they died these deaths ultimately to go to glory to be with Jesus. So God guards us, looks after us, and cares for us. So I urge you, in this time of worry and uncertainty, put our focus back in God. Thank him for our salvation. Praise him for the good things. Bring our anxieties and our worries to him and let him deal with them. Make our focus on living a life of purity and righteousness, bringing glory to Jesus by our attitudes and our heart. Show love, grace, and mercy to those around us. And that is Jesus' solution to living in a life of uncertainty and worry, knowing the certainty of God's salvation for us and his love for us. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that you understand who we are and our needs and you look after us. And, Lord, while it might not always be obvious to us um, what solutions are, it might be frustrating for us in so many ways that we can actually trust you and trust you deeply. Take from us, Lord, our cares, our worries and our anxieties and let us instead um, transfer that to be trust in you, loving of you and showing your goodness to those around us in these uncertain times. Fill us with your spirit and enable us. But, Lord, just let us see you clearly, know you deeply, love you fully worship you in our lives, and bring you glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.